Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. And everybody, it is great to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Week two of Investigating Jesus, where we're talking about how we know what we know about Jesus and why we follow. Um, So if you've ever, or you are currently kind of deconstructing faith, dismissing faith, doubting, or somebody you really care about, somebody that you love is going through that. That's what this series is about. Hopefully, it could help reinforce faith. It could help you to know how to take steps forward as an adult uh, and really to be able to engage with God. I mean, that's such an important thing to be able to know how to do. Now, as we get started this morning, um, I, I want to just give you something to think about, okay? If your life is a commercial, what are you advertising? If your life is a commercial, what are you advertising? Because the reality is all of us, me included, we're all advertising something, whether we're intentionally doing it or not, but we're all advertising something. I was thinking about this yesterday. I went to a funeral of of a great man, Ken Finolio. It was really a celebration of his life. His son Jake and his wife Megan go to Brazos. They have an incredible family. As a matter of fact, Megan's been on our staff for years. And um, it was incredible to hear people stand up and talk about this man that in 72 years, how he had this legacy of love, of how he had intentionally loved people with the love of Jesus Christ. And people got it over and over. And hearing both Jake and Megan even saying, we never doubted that we were loved by Ken. He always made sure we knew. As a matter of fact, Jake said, maybe the greatest thing for me going forward is to carry my dad's legacy that he had done all his life into the next generation. And I thought to myself, is there any greater way to honor a person who has passed? Is is there any greater, like, come on dads, in the room, is there anything greater your kids could say about you when you're gone from this planet than to, I want to continue to live as he lived. I want his legacy the way, his legacy of love, I want to continue in me. That's great. Nobody's going to be talking about our money or our stuff or our accumulation of anything else. All they want to talk about is how your life inspired theirs and the way that you gave and the way you loved and how it imprinted and impacted the next generation. So powerful. And I want you to think about that today. We're going to come back to this idea, this question. And I talked about this last week, that whether you're deconstructing, doubting, dismissing faith, wherever you are on that spectrum, here's a premise that we started with last week. The Christian faith rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, and that is the individual of Jesus of Nazareth. Before we answer any other questions, we have to come to terms with him. So naturally comes the the, the veracity of the Christian movement or the Christian faith really comes down to a question. And it's not the question, have I worked through all of my doubts about the Bible, okay? All of my questions, that generally for people is an off-ramp to faith, not an on-ramp to faith. And, and let me just say that this is one of those issues that people get stuck here and they never move beyond. 
But I think about it a lot uh, and compare it with the way in which people fall in love. The way that people come to faith as adults, educated, um, you know, mature, you know, adults, how do they come to faith? It's kind of like the way people fall in love. And, and living in a college town for a couple of decades now, I've heard many young men talk about, yeah, Pastor Will, someday I might get married, but I don't know. At first, I'm gonna have to like figure out how could I afford it, and I don't know what would that be like to be just with one person for the rest of my life, and I don't know if I could never not look at another girl again. I don't know if I can, and I don't know, and there's so many questions, so many doubts, so many, until they meet the girl, right? And then I talked, hey, what happened to all the questions? Well, they're all kind of still there, but they got real small in light of the relationship. The relationship is that the, I would trade all that junk for this. As a matter of fact, in time, uh, we'll figure all this out. I, I just don't want to give this up for that, okay? And that's the same way people come to faith in the Lord. But it might be for you that the, really the question that you need to ask, and I want to challenge you to ask is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or not Anne, but or John, a reliable account of actual events? Now, I happen to believe all four of the Gospels are historically accurate. You might not be there. That's okay. What if just one of the four is accurate? If just one of the four is accurate, then who Jesus said he was he really is. And what he did, he really did. And this means that faith is possible. This means that God can be known and your eternity literally hangs in the balance. That's what that means. So it is something that we ought to lean in if even one is true. That's just a place to begin. And we've been looking at, the last week we started with this, looking at the Gospel of Luke. Luke, that was named for its author. We know that Luke is a medical doctor. It's the third of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? And Luke tells us right up front that I want to tell you why I'm writing this Gospel, this account, this historical account of the life of Jesus. And that, by the way, is what he thought he was writing. He did not think he was writing the Bible. He did not even know there would be a thing called the Bible someday. He just was trying to record with accuracy what he had seen, what was done, what Jesus actually said, what he did, so that other people could benefit from knowing the truth about Jesus. And here's what he says, Luke chapter one, starting with verse three and four, he says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I went and found the people. I sat down and interviewed them. Every living witness for these different accounts of miracles and resurrection. I looked and found all the people, all the way back to, he's the only one, we talked about this last week, that recorded, uh, other than Matthew, the, even the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more today. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know, pardon me, you may know the, let's say it together, the certainty of the things that you have been taught. I want you to be assured. Here's why I wrote this. If you're wondering, why did Luke go to the trouble? Because it probably took him years to do this. Why did he go to the trouble? I want you to be assured of what you believe, that it is anchored in historical events. That's what this is. This is not make-believe or a set of legends or fables or just Bible stories. 
This actually took place. And today, we're going to take our focus and look at this incredible person called John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer sometimes is called. And John is introduced to us by Luke in chapter 3 of his gospel. And in chapter 3, we're told that, um, that John is a critical part of the history building up to and, and beyond of Jesus and his ministry. Now, the way in which he writes about uh, John, by the way, it's almost like he's saying, uh, come and fact check me. I dare you. I'm going to give you lots of context historically, lots of extraneous information that may feel like, why is he giving all this to us? I want you to know this was set in a place in history among and in a context, geopolitically, all these things were happening, just like this moment in time. And here's what he says. I love how he talks about how, this is how he introduces John the Baptist. He says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother, Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Well, wow, this isn't once upon a time. This sounds like we're reading history. Guess why? Because we are. All right, let's keep going. He says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, he introduces this fascinating historical character that was so special in the role of Jesus' ministry, and we're gonna get into that more in just a little bit, but not only did Luke write about this, and other gospel writers wrote about this, but also the Jewish historian Josephus references John the Baptist. And as a matter of fact, and it's important to understand that Josephus' history of the Jews wasn't written until 90 AD. This is 60 years after John is dead. Think about this for a minute. 60 years after you and I are gone from this earth, you think anybody's gonna stop and write a book about us? Probably not, all right? But John, I, when Josephus was looking at the history of the Jews, he was like, I cannot tell this story without including John. He made such an impact. He was such a big part of what was going on. He has to be included. And the story that Josephus tells us is that when um, King Herod Antipas, who is the son of King Herod the Great, whenever he was in power, he decided to quietly divorce his wife and marry his brother's wife, which was a major taboo in that culture, right? And John the Baptist calls him out on it, and it actually winds up costing his life. He has him beheaded, okay? But going back to King Herod Antipas, whenever King Herod Antipas' wife got wind that he was about to divorce her, she runs home to daddy, King Aretas of the Arabs, and he declares war on Antipas and conquers him. So later, Josephus records this whole thing for us, and I want to give you kind of what he says about it, his synopsis. Here's what um, Flavius Josephus, in his Antiquities of the Jews, here's what he says. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, that it was a very just punishment for what he did against John, called the Baptist, 
For Herod had him killed, although he was a good man, and had urged the Jews to exert themselves to virtue, both to justice towards one another and reverence towards God. In other words, Flavius Josephus is saying, here is the commercial, if you will, of John the Baptist's life. This is the legacy of his life, 60 years after he was gone, that he was the kind of man that urged his people, the Jews, to have justice towards one another and reverence towards God. Luke goes on to say, you need to know this is a real person who really lived just like you, okay? Verse two, he goes on to say this, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went to all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of, let's say it together, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now let me talk about this word repentance for just a second. It's important that you understand this word. It is a word that means to do a 180 or an about face. It means to turn from sin and towards God. But there is far more implied in the word than just that. The idea is that you are agreeing with God about sin, that this is deteriorating and destroying. It is bringing destruction to my life. That sin is the reason why. It always brings pain and suffering into the lives of people. It destroys people. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why God hates it so much for us. And not only does it destroy us, but it always drives a wedge between us and God. It always gets in the way. And it makes a relationship with God nearly impossible, if not impossible, to be able to have a real growing relationship. This is why he's saying you must turn from the sin, repent, turn towards God. And it's more than just like, okay, I've changed my mind about this one sinful thing or behavior or whatever. It's more than just changing your mind. It is also changing your body. Because let's be honest, some of the sins in our life, they are addictions that very much have connected themselves to our physicality. We are physically addicted to these things. And we have to turn our bodies away, not just our minds, set our minds on the things of God instead of on sinful things. We now have to turn, and we need to turn our soul, the very depth and the, the, the very deposit of who we are, the, the heart, the spirit, the will of the person has to turn. This is why later Jesus says, the greatest commandment you can follow is simply the fruit or the rational conclusion or result of somebody who is repent. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, your body, everything. Why? Because you've turned away from that. You've turned to him and you figured it out. That's where real freedom comes from. That's where real life comes from. This is death. You see, Jesus came. This is so important. Jesus came not to be, make bad people good, but to make dead people alive, to be alive, to truly be alive in your spirit and your heart is to pursue the things of God and you will come more alive every step you take with him. And this is what he was getting at here. He's saying, I have been sent by God. <clears throat> important job, right? John had an important job to prepare the way for the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the king of God's kingdom, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Prepare your hearts and this is how you do it. You turn from sin, you turn towards God. 
It was simply a repentance to prepare our hearts. But what was happening, which is the same thing that's happening to people right down to this day, is that they turn to God, come to church, but it is simply to escape eternal punishment. I mean, who wants to go to hell, right? Like, I, I just want to, I just want to check the box, and I want to like, God, we're good, right? All right? But he realized, these people are coming down here. This is a shallow, superficial faith. There is no, it is unrepentant. It is not repentance, because there was no willingness to change one's life style or life decisions or at the core of who you are. It didn't change. And, and this went all over John as well it should be because it went all over God. And in other words, what made John so upset about these people coming is that it was confession without transformation. Confession without transformation. True repentance requires both. That there should be confession, but there also needs to be a change of your life. But if your walk with God, your faith, your religion is all confession and very little or no transformation, man, John had some strong words for people who fell in that category. He says, you brood of vipers. Woo! When was the last time you said that to somebody? (laughs) Woo, especially at church. My goodness. That was John. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Don't you dare come down here wanting to check a religious box some superficial, shallow faith, and you have no intention of changing your life. He says, if you really want to be right with God, you really want to prepare your heart for Jesus to come and to be a part of your life, here's what you need to do. Verse eight, I love this. He says, produce, let's say the highlighted words together, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You need to produce fruit the behavior of your life in keeping with someone who has turned towards God, right? Put it another way, be doers of the word, not just admirers. Well, I've got so much respect for God's word. And Paul, I mean, John would say, has it changed your life? Are you applying the word? Don't tell me you're an admirer, you respect it and you don't apply it. You're not telling the truth. He's just saying, we gotta be honest with ourselves. We gotta, we gotta really begin to take this thing, this idea of integrity, be an integral, one, a one person who is really trying to live one single life no matter what context we find ourselves. We don't change like a chameleon from one environment to another. We're the same guy or girl wherever we are, right? In other words, what... What John is saying, and later Jesus reiterates this in his preaching over and over, the days of confession without life change are over, man. Empty religion that doesn't result in life change? Are you kidding? That's not what God wants. And let's be honest, it's hollow for those of us who've tried that. Like It doesn't work anyway. And John's saying, and that's not what God desires anyway. If you don't repent... In other words, when the Messiah comes, you're going to miss him. And here's why you're going to miss him. Because you're not going to want him. You will want your sin so much, you will be blinded to the thing your soul craves. The only thing that can set you free, the only thing that can bring true freedom, forgiveness, and the grace of God, you will be blind to. 
And we all know and love dearly people, and maybe they're there right now, that have been in that place. We pray as Paul did for the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may see the hope for which we are called. It's so powerful. When your eyes are finally open, you see God for who you are, and you will say, I give up. There's nothing in this world that will compare with the beauty, the power of who God is. I will live my life for him. I'll give everything for him. I'll hold nothing back. And John was trying to pull the wool back off of their eyes and say, this is who is coming. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts. And he goes on to say this. He says, and do not begin to say to yourself, because the Jews were so proud of their heritage, they said, do not begin to say to yourself, we, are, we have Abraham's as our father. You don't know who, you know who we descend from? You know who our family, our heritage? We come from good stock, man. We're like, they are, man, we have a very religious family. Don't you dare tell me that I'm not in good standing with God. And John said, oh, I dare, I will. I will tell you that. Because every successive generation must decide and place faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can't live off the coattails of the former generation. You can't live off of your parents or grandparents. I mean, as godly and wonderful they might have been, you've got to decide for yourself who decide today who you're going to serve, who you're going to live. It's, 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 it's so powerful when we begin to do that. And they were saying, well, hey, isn't that, that, we're, we're good, right? He said, no, you're not good. And he goes on to say this. He says, for I tell you that out of these stones, you know, in Palestine, there's outcropping of rocks all over the place. He said, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. Like if, it, if it's name only, you're just walking around, I'm just a Jew and name only. It doesn't really change my life. I look like everybody else. He's saying, man, God could raise up statues that look like you and put a name on it. That's, that, he can do that all day long. As a matter of fact, he would tell us in North America, Christians, the same thing. That if we're just going to walk around with just the name only, we're not living sacrifices, as Paul calls the Roman church in chapter 12, to be living sacrifice. He wants to have an interactive, ongoing, life-giving relationship with you. But if you're just going to stay still, you know, rocks are really well known for not changing, right? <laughs> and he's saying, and some of you spiritually, you're pretty much the same guy you were a decade ago, a, the same girl you were five years ago. You're not growing. You're not changing. You're not letting me sharpen and grow you and take steps of faith. And you're, you're seeing God do cool things in your life. It's important that we continue to move forward with the Lord. It's so powerful when we do that. So he reminds the people listening to his message, and I want to echo it to you today, who we're supposed to be advertising. We'll go back up to the top of, of verse 8. He says, produce that fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, produce fruit in keeping with who and what you claim to believe in. Follow the Messiah. Following the Messiah meant that we were producing different fruit, different behavior. We looked different. We are to look different than the world around us. It should be different. Think about it like this. And again, I have run into this before. And those of you who are married will, will pick up on this right away. Sometimes single people think, oh, I'm going to get married and I'm going to keep living like a single person. 
Good luck with that, right? That is not going to be a healthy marriage if it lasts at all, right? When you come into the relationship, things should change. They need to change for the better. It will force you to change, and I promise you, it will ultimately be for the better. And when we come into a relationship with God, if everything is business as usual, we're not doing it right. It should change us down to the core. It should change how we approach life. It's so powerful when we begin to get this right. And when we know that John's audience finally started to get it, because of the questions they were asking. And before I jump into the question, let me just say this. It's the same question we need to be asking. It's the right question. It is the question that if we take it seriously, it will improve our life. It will change us for the better. It will radically change our life. And if you're someone who has just deconstructed faith, doubted, disbelieved, you, you, you've, you've uh, laid faith aside, it's perhaps a question you have never asked before. And here's the question they turned and asked John. What should we, let's say it together, we do then, the crowd asks. It's, it's, it's more than just profession. It's more than just what do I say I believe, what I adhere to. It's, it's more than just a doctrinal statement or a theological treatise. Yeah, if it's not changing your life, he's saying, you haven't quite got it, right? You're not quite there. What then should we do? Like, oh, okay. And, and what's interesting is that they expected a religious answer. Every other religious authority that had ever spoken to them, every rabbi gave them religious answers, you know, something that you could do at church. But John surprised them, and maybe he'll surprise you at what he says. Here's what he says. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should, let's say it together, should share with the one who has None. If you have a surplus of something and you look around and see somebody who has, they don't have any, or they could sure use some help, I want to encourage you to share. It's the same thing we tell our kids. We teach our kids to do this and we forget to do it as adults sometimes, right? He says, I want you to share. And I'm sure that part of his audience would say, share? Well, that doesn't seem religious at all. I mean, you can do that anywhere. You don't have to just do that at church. And John would say, exactly. And by the way, look at where we are right now. We're not in church, right? John was preaching out in the wilderness to all these people. And yeah, he was meeting them right where they were. And he's challenging them. He, he not only stops with shirts, he goes on to talk about food. He says this, he says, and anyone who has food should do the same. This was back at a time when food was scarce, it didn't keep well, it didn't transport well, and people were always looking for food. They always need it. And he's saying, if you have more than you need, look for those who don't and share. And you will be blessed if you will do that. This is so powerful. It's just, and I, I can't help but think that his audience were scratching their heads saying, wait, Paul, I mean, wait, John, not Paul, uh, wait, John, are you saying to us, we just meet a need when you see a need? Is that, is that simply what you're saying? Just meet a need, you see a need, meet it, right? He'd say, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And here's why, because God is about to do the same thing for the whole world through his son, Jesus Christ. He's about to come and meet a need that we could never meet in ourselves. That doesn't mean people don't try. People try to be self-righteous all the time. 
I, I, I'm good enough. Let me, let me tell you how good. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but let me tell you all the good things that I'm doing, you know. But it is only because of God's grace and his mercy. And that word mercy can also be translated pity. His pity for us. We don't like that here in North America. We're, we're about success and posting beautiful pictures of, of success and doing well and everything's going great. And we forget before God we are pitiful. We need his pity. We need his grace. We cannot fix ourselves. If we don't come poor in spirit, if we don't come bankrupt before God, we don't get to come. This is so important that we realize this is why Jesus came. And this is why it requires more than just intellectual adherence to a set of ideals, but it should be a life change to a set of practices and applications of what Jesus intended us to go do. It's so important. So it's interesting. So different groups start now asking John, what are we supposed to do? And the next one were the tax collectors. They, they say, okay, uh, and the tax collectors were very much hated at this time. They would overcharge their taxes and they were very wealthy because of it as they collected taxes for Rome. And they said, what should we do? And here was John's response. Don't collect more than you are required to. Stop overcharging people. But, but, but John, like everybody does this. I don't care what everybody does. I don't care if it's permissible. I don't care if it's the status quo. This is just the way the industry works, Paul. I mean, come on. Don't, if you criticize us, criticize the whole system. I don't care what the system's doing. I want you to do something different. In other words, do what's just, not what you can justify. And this is so good, guys, for whatever you do for a living, whatever you're doing at home, wherever you go on the internet, do what's just, not what you can justify. This gets at the heart of who we are, down to the soul level of people, where we stop playing games, religious games with God, and we get real. This is, this is what John was trying to do because Jesus was about to speak even more strongly to these things. And then next, the Roman soldiers who were kind of like hired police by the Roman uh, government, but they were sort of unpoliced police because they would, they would hurt people. They would take advantage of the vulnerable and the poor and the, the oppressed. And it was really common for them to do this. And the Roman soldiers that were there said, what should we do? What should we do? And here's what John says next. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Wow. Again, that, doesn't, that last little phrase right there does not seem very American because I don't know many people that are very content with their pay. But that is a choice. It is a discipline to say, you know what? I'm not going to pin my hopes on more money. I'm not going to pin, well, someday when we make X number of dollars, life will finally be good for us. I promise you, it will not be what you think it's going to be. Now, everybody needs to be able to live. I'm not talking about those that are way below the poverty line. I'm talking about majority of people that constantly believe that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I trust God. But in the back of their mind, they're like, yeah, but more money would actually solve all my problems. You think that. But he's saying that's false. That is an idol, and it will destroy you if you continue to put your hope there. It is never going to lead to life. Stop taking advantage. 
This is what was happening with the Roman soldiers. Stop taking advantage of those who were vulnerable. And, and, and stop trying to increase your income by forced extortion means. Don't do that. Be content. In other words, to put it another way, don't power up on the powerless. Use your power to protect the powerless. Because John would say, and Jesus would, would, would iterate, reiterate this, this is what God does. This is what power is for. If you manage people, the power that's been, the authority that's been given to you is to help protect and to help those around you. If you're a CEO, if you're a leader of a company, you lead an organization, you are not there to try to make all those people serve you better, but you are there to serve them. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. It's a different mindset, and it takes some time to learn this, but Paul, I mean, uh, pardon me, uh, John is saying, listen, this is it. This is, this is the way, this is the path to everlasting life. This is how you find God in your everyday life. It's what power is for. To go, we'll come back to our statement that I asked you to think about at the very beginning. If your life is a commercial, what are you advertising? What version of faith are you advertising? What version of faith? Let's look at those one more time. Is it the version of faith that it's, most, it's mostly tradition with very little transformation? Let's be honest. They're like, yeah, you... you you check the religious box and like, hey, I was at church and I kind of do my thing and then, but there's not a whole lot of life changes that's happened. Or is it the kind of faith, is it the kind of religion that both Jesus and John talked about that was the do for others, love one another version, see a need, meet a need? Is it that? He's challenging us to ask this question, the same question that his audience asked. I want to challenge you with it today to ask the question, what should we do? What should we do? Now, for some of you might look at that and say, well, that doesn't seem very deep, Will. That doesn't seem very spiritually deep. Let me, let me push back on that just a little bit. The, it is always the right question to ask because it's always the question that will lead to a deeper walk with, with Jesus. Now, it might not seem deep, but Jesus always defined deep by actions. He even tells us in Matthew chapter 7, like the one who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and it collapses when the storms of life come. And, and, and he, Jesus exemplified this over and over. Think about it for a minute. Is it easier to plead with somebody and say, oh, I love you, sweetheart, or is it easier to lay your life down for somebody? Those are very different things. And Jesus showed us that he, yes, said it, he confessed it, but he also did it. You see, doing is deep to Jesus. It deepens our faith in God, and it deepens our dependency upon God. Because when we begin to do, doing is where you will see God at work in your life. It is where you will see him at work. When you begin to ask the question, Father, what should I do? And where you see a need, you begin to meet a need. And just look around you and, and, and begin to be open to whatever God prompts your heart to do in terms of the needs that you see around you. Some of them, you don't have to meet all of the need. Maybe you could just meet part of it. But you do something. And, and, and I want to just challenge you this week that you would pray this prayer once a day, every day this week, 
and just see as we come into Easter, if you aren't finding yourself in a much better place spiritually at the end of the week. Because if you acted even just a little bit every day on responding to what God has prompted your heart to do by looking at needs around you and assuming when he shows you a need, he wants you to help meet the need, you'll have at least seven stories of where God used you to meet a need in the life of somebody else. You'll start to see God move in ways that maybe you would never have before. You see, belief alone doesn't change the world. It didn't change the first century and it won't change this one. But belief plus doing, applying, that's what changes the world. And this is what John challenged us with. This is what Jesus challenged us with. And I just want to ask you, would you be willing? I realize this is scary. Those of you watching online, this is going to push you out of your comfort zone. But I'm telling you, it's where God is. It's where growth is. It's where you will start to see the movement of God in your life, maybe like never before. And our application prayer today is simply putting this into practice. Heavenly Father, what should I do? Open my eyes, open my heart to what you have next for me. Would you be willing to pray that? Right now, I want to ask you if you would bow with me in prayer. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to help us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your love today. Thank you for this incredible question that was posed to us here in this incredible passage. What should we do? What should I do? Would you just right now, where you're sitting, all across this room, online right now, would you have the, just muster the courage to pray it right now. God, Heavenly Father, what should I do? If you're asking that question and praying it with me right now, would you please just raise your hand? Just say, I'm asking it. I'm asking it. I'm not even fully sure what what God's answer is going to be. Would you just be willing to say, yes, I'll ask. It's scary. It's going to push me out of my comfort zone, but I'm ready. Oh, I'm so ready. I want to see God move. I want to see God use my life. I want the commercial of my life to be about Him to point people to the only source of true life that there is in the universe, the origin, the author, the father of all life, eternal life, given to through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you say yes to him? God, whatever you say, I give you my yes right now. I give you my yes. You may lower your hands. And God, I pray for any person who can hear my voice online, here in person right now that would say, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. I don't want it to be confession only. I don't want it to be confession without transformation. I really want to be a disciple of Jesus. And you're ready to make that commitment right here, right now. Would you pray right where you sit and just say, God, I realize what you want me to do is to invite you into my life to take over. And right now, would you just tell him, God, I invite you in. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive all my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and be the Lord the leader of my life from this moment forward for all eternity. 
one more time. Lord, forgive my sin and be the leader of my life from this moment forward. If you just prayed that for the very first time, would you just, as an act of faith, just lift your hand. I'd love to pray for you right now. Just saying, Will, I'm going to lift my hand. God bless you, ma'am. I see you right here. Anybody else? I'm giving it all over to Jesus. God bless you, sweetheart. I see you right there. And sir, I see you over here on the left. Anybody else? Raising my hand, I'm making a commitment right now to give it all to Jesus, become a follower, a disciple. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. And I pray, God, that even this week, as we go through the habit patterns of our life, as you bring people into our mind and pr- bring people across our, our, our um, just, just our field of vision, God, that we would have the courage to invite them with us next weekend as we talk about investigating the resurrection. This is the single most life-giving historical event in the history of humankind. And I pray, God, that we won't miss it. We love you. We praise you. And I pray, God, that even this week, those who have made decisions to follow you, that they would share that with somebody that will celebrate with them. And they would take that next step. They can go by the Welcome Center this morning, and we'll help them with that. We praise you, Jesus, for what you did here today. We pray it all in the powerful name of the Lord. And everybody said... Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.